the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. is the Nick T Podcast right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Episode number 163. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Please take the time to rate and review this podcast uh, and all of the podcasts at Radio Misfits. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts, every single platform. So please give us your feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of this podcast. Got the voicemail systems running 24-7, anytime, anywhere, any place you want to leave Uh a question or uh, you know uh, anything you want to you want to leave we would love to hear a voicemail from you on that 773-417-6948 voicemail 24 7 with any contribution that you have you want to email us anytime please we'd love to hear from you it's nickdpodcast at gmail.com and if you email me at nickdpodcast at gmail.com uh, you can also email me about my other podcast on this network, and that's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast, which is all about Saturday Night Live. So voicemail us at 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, you want to be a sponsor? You want to advertise on this podcast? Lots of people listen to this podcast, so it would be good for you. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Say, I want to advertise on the podcast. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music and the themes and the sounds, and he's a good dude. And, of course, Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. You should also check out our 24-hour streaming service. It's like a radio station, 24 hours a day, only cooler. Radiomisfits.live, where you can hear unsigned bands and unheard music as part of the Unheard Music Show. If you have an unsigned band, you should contact Radio Misfits and say, hey, I would like to be heard on your streaming service. And in addition to that music, you can also hear amazing episodes of the varied and incredible and many uh, uh, podcasts available at Radio Misfits, including my two podcasts. You can hear this podcast, the Nick D Podcast, every day at 3 p.m. Central at Radiomisfits.live, and you can hear my SNL podcast every day at 9 a.m. Central on Radiomisfits.live. So check out the live streaming and, uh, and also subscribe to all of our stuff. It is the first Tuesday of the month. August 1st, and that means it's time for a For the People episode. That's right. It's for you. You have questions. You have concerns about your money, about consumers, consumer stuff. And if you're a driver and you have a car and you're concerned about all the changes that happen, any car questions, any, you know, any uh, consumer questions that you have, they are always answered right here the first of the month. Herb Weisbaum is going to join me. He is the consumer man. He uh, writes for checkbook.org, and he will help you save your money, not get scammed by scammers, and just keep your money safe and answer any and all consumer-related questions. Important dude, important guy, and one of my favorites. Then Tom Appel will join us. He is the car expert. Consumer Guide Automotive is what he publishes, and he writes about cars. Any kind of car questions or automotive issues, he is the man. So Herb and Tom are here for another 
For the People uh, episode. And my dad's going to stop by and tell a joke, because even though it's a For the People episode, that does not stop him from busting down the door and disturbing this young Hi, woman. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, Hi, baby. I'm Carrie Russell, and so, I love Nick's show. So, my dad will stop by and tell a joke after we talk to Herb and Tom for the For the People. Also, this weekend, it's coming up this weekend, I can't wait! Friday, August 4th through Sunday, August 6th at the Hyatt Regency in o- at O'Hare in Chicago. It is the 21st annual Flashback Weekend Horror Convention. You have to come out. If you hear my voice, that means you're coming. That means you are getting tickets and you are coming and we're going to hang out and you will be a part of my live podcast recording. That's right. Me and Esmeralda Leon will be on stage at the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention asking questions, and we're going to give away a bunch of T-shirts. I got exclusive Nick D. Podcast T-shirts. You want one? Well, you got to come and be a part of the recording of the Nick D. Podcast live at Flashback Weekend. An incredible weekend with uh, uh, incredible celebrities and great events and concerts, and uh, Joe Bob Briggs and Sven Gulli and Darcy the Mail Girl all on the same stage, and I'll be hosting that. Uh, we have an Alan Howworth concert, the man who composed music for a bunch of the Halloween movies in Escape from New York, and they live, and he worked for John Carpenter. He's doing a full-on immersive audio and visual concert that I will also be introducing. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of Q&As I'm going to be doing, and uh, I will be hosting along with Esmeralda, live on stage, the Nick D podcast, live from Flashback Weekend. And our ho- and our guests will be uh, three of the guys from Christine. The, it's the 40th anniversary of John Carpenter's Christine, so we'll have cast members on stage to talk about that and so much more. We'll be giving away swag and all kinds of cool stuff and talking about horror movies. And it's one day only. It's one time only. The Nick D podcast live is Saturday, August 5th. That's this Saturday at 12.30 p.m. in the big grand ballroom downstairs. So get your butts there. I expect everybody, all the Nick D fans, to pack that place and have a good time. We're going to talk about scary movies and horror stuff. I'm going to be giving away exclusive Nick D uh, podcast t-shirts. You'll meet the cast from Christine. It's going to be unbelievable, and the whole weekend is going to be amazing with incredible events and stars everywhere, Scream reunion, Terrifier reunion, Halloween 2 reunion. It is an unbelievable. You can get all kinds of merchandise. The vendor room is unbelievable with all kinds of horror merchandise uh, of every possible uh, uh, thing that you can possibly imagine, it's there. And the Christine Carr from the movie, the 1958 Plymouth Fury, will be there in that room. You need to come out. Get your tickets. Flashbackweekend.com, August 4th through the 6th, Hyatt Regency at O'Hare. And uh, on uh, Saturday the 5th, you have to come out for uh, the Nick D Podcast Live. So I expect everybody to be there. Lots of amazing stuff happening and big giveaways throughout the entire week, and it's just going to be great. Hey, you want a Nick D Podcast t-shirt? You got to have your ass there, and I'll give it to you. I'll give you one. So that's how it works out. So anyway, uh, please come out to the Flashback Weekend this weekend, flashbackweekend.com. Get your tickets. Let's pack the place. Also, literally a half an hour before I started recording this, I found out that Paul Rubens passed away. Um, Paul Rubens was 70 years old, uh, secretly was battling cancer. Nobody really knew he was sick. Uh, Paul Rubens, best known as Pee Wee Herman, one of the funniest people uh, that's ever lived, one of the most creative comic minds ever. And of course, Pee Wee Herman is one of the most memorable, one of the funniest, loveliest, and amazing comic characters ever created. The TV show uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse uh, is one of the greatest television shows in the history of the medium, and there is no arguing that. It is simply one of the most original, one of the most pure, genius pieces of television that has ever aired, and we should all be privileged and honored that we got to watch that show. One of the greatest shows ever. 
uh, created by a genius. Paul Rubens was an unbelievable um, uh, comedian and actor. Started out with the Groundlings. Pee Wee Herman was a, cre- a character that he created while he was with the Groundlings, and he started the stage show there. It became an HBO special. Then it become, uh, became a morning uh, show after the movie, which was an amazing movie. Of course, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the first of three Pee Wee movies. Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is one of the best movies of all time. It's one of the funniest and most creative. It's one of those movies that you could watch eight million times over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you never get sick of it, and you never not you never don't laugh your ass off during it. It's genius. Uh, Paul Rubens appeared in a bunch of other really cool stuff that he was in. He was great in the movie Blow with Johnny Depp. He was incredible in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Um, he's appeared in a bunch of TV shows and a bunch of other things. Uh, he worked with Tim Burton before. He also played the Penguin's father in Batman Returns. Um, and he was just an incredible writer, an incredible artist, and a great comedian. Um, um, so I was devastated when I heard of his death. Every single Saturday, I would go over to my friend Joe, who was also uh, passed away. Uh, and one of our things was every Saturday night, he would VHS, he would tape on his VHS player. Every Saturday morning, every single Saturday morning, he would tape Pee Wee's Playhouse. And before we would do anything on a Saturday night, the first thing that we did was we would all gather at Joe's place in his basement and we would watch Pee Wee's Playhouse every single Saturday for the entire time that, that show ran. That was our, uh, that was our thing. That was, uh, that was just something that we did every single week. It was, okay, I don't know what we're going to do on Saturday night if we're going to go out, but the first thing we're doing is we're going to watch this morning's episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse. One of the greatest shows of all time, which of course featured people like Phil Hartman and, and, uh, and Lawrence Fishburne um, and so many other uh, great talents. Um, one of the most influential comedians, one of the most original. Pee Wee Herman is one of the greatest and most iconic characters in the history of entertainment. Um, and Paul Rubens was an amazingly talented dude and a great guy. Um, and Pee Wee Herman is one of, uh, a, is a character that has touched the soul and the heart of so many, including me. It's devastating, devastating news. I did not know he was sick. Maybe some people did. He was battling cancer privately. He was only 70 years old. He passed away just a little while ago today. And I could not start this podcast, even though it's a for the people podcast, not really an entertainment podcast, but uh, I couldn't start this podcast without paying tribute or at least mentioning the fact that a, a, a that a legendary uh, comedian and incredible talent, a monumentally important genius, uh, has passed away, and the character of Pee Wee Herman is uh, has 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 moved on. So, uh, very very horrible, heartbreaking news. Paul Rubens has passed away. If you get a chance, you know, watch the three Pee Wee. Big, big Top Pee Wee's not that great, but the last one that he did for Netflix was terrific, and the original Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a masterpiece. And he's been in a bunch of other stuff. And a bunch of other movies. Particularly, you should check him out in the movie Blow. He's really great in that. Um, so, anyway, Paul Rubens, rest in peace. Um, you know, literally, this just hit me. You know, like I was just about to record, and I was like, oh, wow, Paul Rubens died. So, very sad. I mean, Paul Rubens passed away, and then just a few days ago, Sinead O'Connor passed away, and a great screenwriter named Bill Goldman, who wrote some of the best movies of all time, including One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Shoot the Moon. Um he passed away as well. So it's been a rough, uh, rough uh, series of deaths here, a big-time talent that, uh, that really profoundly affected me. Uh, so rest in peace, uh, Paul Rubens. So, okay, uh, let's get into it. Let's talk to uh, Herb Weissbaum. He is the consumer man, and he is about to talk to us after I say you have to be congratulated immediately. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackal. 
Herb Weissbaum is the Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming the Consumer Man. Oh, yes, Herb is your man. Yes, there it is. The heroic music of Herb Weissbaum, who is the Consumer Man, who you can check at checkbook.org, and you can check out the Consumer Man uh, and Consumer Man all over the place. Uh, <laughs> and uh, been a part of my show for many years on the radio and uh, and for the uh, over year and a half that I've been doing this, it's Herb Weissbaum. Hi, Herb. Hi, Nick. Happy August to you, sir. Yeah, happy August to you. It's exactly August 1st. Rabbit, 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 as we say in the business. Um so uh, it's uh, fantastic. Uh, uh, having having a good summer, uh, Herb. Yes, uh, we haven't been too ridiculously hot like most of the country here in Seattle. We had one day it hit ninety six degrees and we all melted. Yeah. Uh, I know that's nothing for like uh, Chicago land and other parts of the country, but basically we've been mid seventies, eighties. It's been like absolutely delightful. So wow. uh, we're, all we're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that everybody who's listening in any other part of the country is very mad at you right now, but that's okay. Um, uh, Herb Weissbaum, how long you've been doing the consumer? Please how don't long you here. We have enough people. <laughs> how long you've been doing the consumer stuff? Give everybody your background uh, on the consumer man. Sure, I've been doing this probably for forty something years now. Uh, previously, I was a consumer correspondent for CBS News, also on the Today Show, and for, wrote for NBCNews.com. I'm now with Checkbook.org, which is a nonprofit that rates services in seven markets across the country. But I also write articles for just everybody. You can go to our website, Checkbook.org, or my website, ConsumerMan.com, and read them. And I also do a biweekly podcast that we launched two years ago called Consumerpedia, where we talk about everything consumer. So as Nick said, I'm like a fungus. I'm everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, you are everywhere. And you are with us once a month on the first Tuesday of each month for the For the People episode. Uh, and we are always happy to have you here. Lots of stuff that we want to get to. Uh, and and you're going to turn the tables uh, a little bit later on because I'm a professional movie critic. But uh, in this interview, you're going to turn the tables and you're going to review a movie. How about that? Yeah, how about that? So we'll and I went that. to a premiere and everything. Wow. And they, All right. And they me up in a town car or, you know, yeah. How about that? How about that? I took a bus to see Barbie. I don't know if that counts, but uh... was it a Barbie bus? <laughs> I will tell you this. It's uh, Barbie, by the way. Best movie of the year. Oh, it's the best movie of the year. I've seen it yeah. twice. And I Can we digress for one second. Yeah. Because it's a podcast, right? Yeah, we can do whatever we want. Um. I used to cover the toy fair for both CBS and the Today Show for like oh yeah 15 20 years. Yeah yeah. And yeah. so I saw all the incarnations of Barbie and the whole routine <laughs> and one year when Oscar de la Renta designed clothing he designed a line of clothing for Barbie the big GWOW press conference in New York was a fashion show in the ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria. Mm with female uh, celebrities wearing uh, human-sized Barbie clothes. Yeah. The only one I remember was Ginny Francis from General Hospital. Mm-hmm. But And Oscar D. came out, and they gave him the roses and the whole routine. But to see these women wearing Barbie clothes, I mean, these were beautiful gowns that Oscar D. Lorenda well, had just for Barbie. It was just uh, something I, else. I will tell you, I have seen the film twice, and uh, I saw it, in fact, uh, at the time of this taping, I saw it yesterday. And... Um, um, we went, and I can't tell you the number of people, uh, the number of ladies especially, who dressed up in pink 
and came in costume for this, and it's happening all across the. The movie is making millions yep. of dollars, and it's yep. you know, I mean, obviously, you know about this whole thing where they where they come, you know, the, the they combined it with Oppenheimer, and it was called Barbenheimer, and who was mm-hmm. what what movie was going to make? They're both making a lot of money. Barbie's making the kind of money that you know, like Marvel movies make. It's literally making that kind of money. It's insane. Yeah, it's saved the summer for the movie industry. So, oh, it's ridiculous, and it's and it's a great movie. I think it's the best movie of the year, and I'm and I just I love. I love the fact that this movie is making the amount of money it's made. And I love the fact that everybody is so excited about it, that they're all dressing up and, and it's, it was fun, man. I mean, yesterday in the theater there, you know, I would say half of the crowd, and it was a sold out uh, theater. Half of the crowd were girls or women in pink uh, dressed up like Barbies. I, I think it was, I thought it was great. May I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Did you wear pink? I did, of course. Yes. Good. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and you know, everybody thinks Barbie. We forget about Ken. So before well, we get started on the serious stuff, I have a quick Ken story. Okay. Well, Ken and, is Ken. By the way, Ken is a major part of the movie. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> a major um, part. Of the movie. <laughs> so w- one year I went in, and uh, we always went in just before the show opened. And this was the year that they were making a porcelain Ken doll. You know, they had porcelain <laughs> collector Barbie dolls. They were going to make a porcelain Ken doll, and. <laughs> He was on a turntable. It was really cute. He was on a turntable, and on the one side, he was in his uh, boxer shorts, and he had right. the socks uh, with the garter <laughs> things on, and he had a, a, a sleeveless uh, T-shirt on, and he was shaving and getting ready, and he turned the turntable around, and he was in a tuxedo. He was going to take Barbie out, sure. right? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if you've ever been in, worked in TV. It's much harder than radio because they always want these pictures. And so the photographer kept saying, turn the turntable faster, turn the turntable slower, stop it here, turn it there, turn it left, turn it right. Well, after about 43 times of being told how to turn the turntable for like this one shot that I wanted for my story, I said to the photographer, I'll turn the turntable. And I whirled the thing around, I guess, assuming that Ken was mounted. Oh, to the no. T- and porcelain Ken goes oh, flying in the air no. on Herb. the marble floor. On the marble floor. Oh my god. And the product manager who was off to the side screams, and I swear this is the truth. Yeah. Ken, my son. <laughs> and thank God he didn't break. Thank God. Oh, he, he didn't break. Oh God. Okay. I thought he would sh- I mean, he you was- said marble floor porcelain. I thought that thing must have shattered everywhere. And it was a prototype. It was the only way. If I had done this, they would have not had something to show everybody for the whole toy fair that was just about to open 100,000 people coming through. Wow. So basically, it's like, hey, nice to see you, Herb. Come back like in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Boy, boy, did you bury the lead on that story, Herb? My God. <laughs> well, Stephen Colbert says it was a long walk, but it was worth getting there. Exactly. My, no, I'm serious. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's a great story, especially, I mean, that's a story that you, you, you need to tell in. Because, I mean, the the press that this movie and Ken and Barbie are getting just in general, the whole yeah. iconic thing, that's yeah. a great story. All right, you almost killed Porcelain Ken. That's what you're going to... That'll go on my grave. That's almost on your grave, man. <laughs> yeah, almost killed Porcelain Ken. All right, oh, that's a great story. All right, let's move on to some serious stuff. Again, checkbook.org and check out Consumer Man. Uh, you're everywhere. Um, and... Uh, there's a there's a there, this is a serious story, a fraud alert about the IRS about IRS refund letters. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, we've talked many times before about uh, IRS frauds. And I always say the way that the IRS will initially contact you is with a letter. Right. They're not going to contact you by text message or phone call or email. So what do the clever con artists do? They're sending out letters to taxpayers claiming that they're owed an unclaimed refund. And they have a letterhead that has the IRS logo on it and it has contact information, which is not 
the genuine IRS contact information. And uh, they're trying to tell you that they have uh, this unclaimed refund and they're going to try to gather your personal information. And I assume down the line, maybe even get some money from you. And what makes this a standout on why the IRS actually issued a fraud alert about this a couple of weeks ago is that it's coming in a physical mailer as opposed to an email phishing or a text or a phone call, something like that. Now, again, they do contact taxpayers by mail, but this is coming in a cardboard envelope that looks like it's from a courier service. Hmm. The IRS, if it's going to contact you, it does not use cardboard mailers. They use letters, good old letters, U.S. snail mail. That's how they send these things out. And by the way, there's no such thing as an unclaimed refund. There are unclaimed property offices in various states, but there's no such thing as an unclaimed refund. You file your taxes. If you're owed a refund, you get a refund. If you're not owed a refund, you don't get a refund. And if the refund is delayed or you didn't get it, you contact the IRS on their website, irs.gov, and there's a page called Where's My Refund? And you find out what the status is of your refund. But again, this is really scary. And it tells the recipient that they're going to need to provide uh, their filing information for the refund. So that includes social security number, bank routing number, and cell phone number. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you know what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to steal your identity and probably break into your bank account. And um, it's just awkwardly worded and some some wrong things. And they also want a picture taken with your cell phone of your driver's license. I mean, no government agency, including the IRS, would ever make you do something like that because- right. Your driver's license has a lot of personal information. And with today's tools, they could take that picture and try to use it and make fake ID. So there's a lot of really, you know, warning signs here. But again, we just want to make sure people realize this. And when something sounds too strange or weird, or if you're just not sure, contact the IRS. You can call them. You can go to irs.gov and see what's going on. But again, this is coming in a mailing. So it looks really important and official in a, in a cardboard mailer from a supposed uh, a courier service, that is not how the IRS needs to contact you. And again, you can always speak to them, 800-829-1040. How's that for a good number? Yeah. <laughs> 800-829-1040, you can talk to them, or you can go, if you need, if your refund hasn't come, to Where's My Refund? It's a page on the IRS website. But uh, again, this is they're getting pretty sneaky. You know, just when you warn everybody of one thing, they you we zig and they zag. It's it's yeah. whack-a-mole. What well, it is, it's, you know? it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, uh, uh, you know, you think that now it's like, okay, well, clearly these guys aren't going to be sending, you know, snail mail. They're done with that because all the scams are going to be up up to the you know the technology that we have now. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be technology-driven. And yet they're still sending out letters. They're still trying to get you even through snail mail. Yep. Because, you know, believe it or not, sometimes letters work because they seem official. We've been a lot of people have been so trained that email and text messages can be scams. So what do you do? Everybody's worried about, hey, you go back to B again and try that. You know, that's that's the the M.O. of a scammer. You know, if everybody's over here, you go over there and and try to pick up the people who are, are not watching out for that scam. And that's why this is so clever. One of the red flags that you mentioned in the article that I want to mention one more time here is that uh, the IRS called it awkwardly worded. And I do want to mention that because that seems whenever I spot, you know, like if I get like I don't get a lot of texts, but sometimes I'll do. I'll get texts that are obviously fake Mm -hmm. um, or I'll get like an email that's obviously fake. Check out if you're reading this, check out um, if you're a stickler for grammar Mm -hmm. or even like spelling or just like as they say, awkwardly worded. 
Uh, that's kind of a giveaway. Like if, if, if the grammar is terrible, it's really awkwardly worded or there are misspellings or just like that kind of stuff. It's like, well, clearly this is fake and the idiot who made this doesn't know how to spell or has no idea what grammar, what proper grammar is. So keep an eye out for that, as you mentioned, as a red flag. That is a red flag, but it's not always a red flag. And especially as we move in and we mentioned this last week, we, or last month, we talked about AI. AI is going to be huh. able to clean that up. Yeah. So they are going to, AI is going to be able to take something that maybe is written in a foreign language and and figure out the proper syntax and punctuation and spelling for the other language. So while that is still a warning sign now, they have been getting better. And a lot of the emails I get don't have that kind of stuff anymore. And once the criminals totally switch to AI, that's not going to be a red flag. I mean, obviously, it's always a red flag, but that's it's not going to be like the opposite. Like if it doesn't have syntax errors, it doesn't have spelling errors, it's it's not punctuated properly. That's just, that does that does not mean it's legitimate because they're going to be oh, using yeah. all the tools now no, to take. But the yeah, other the reverse. I'm just I'm just saying that, you know, obviously you shouldn't trust anything, even if it is proper grammar or or spelled, but especially if it's not proper grammar. Correct. Correct. (laughs) I mean, that's just ridiculous, but that's a a good remedy. And boy, this AI stuff, you know, uh, really quickly as an aside, Herb, um, how much of this do you think is that you're going to have to be covering? How busy are you going to be? And how many stories are you going to end up covering? Uh, And how important is this? This AI stuff gets completely out of control. I'm I'm assuming that that's really going to make a big a big dent into what you cover. Yes. Oh, as a matter of fact, we are taping a podcast, Consumerpedia podcast tomorrow, as a matter of fact, that is going to deal with AI and crime. And I have three experts on. One is a former cyber criminal who was on the Secret Service's 10 Most Wanted list. And we have an expert from the MIT Cyber Lab and also a digital security expert at Sophos, the big global digital security company. It's going to roll out in September when we come back off a very short summer break. But once I know everything they have to say, uh, you and I will be discussing that in depth. But I guarantee you it will, A, speed them up, B, make them more efficient, and see probably uh, have different venues for attacking you that they never thought of before. So there's no question that every one of these digital tools that really helps our lives can make it easier for the cyber criminals. And my question to them is, and I don't know the answer to this, so we'll talk about it in a couple of months, is will we be able to use AI to fight back against this? In other words, will AI be able to somehow target the AI frauds and help right. protect us because wouldn't that be lovely if there's yeah. there was something like that that happened? So, so good AI versus bad AI. Correct. Uh, that's all Correct. Right. I think we've I think we've had a series of sci-fi movies that I've already covered that. So, uh, wow, it's amazing. I think I think at one point we're all going to wake up. We're all going to be in the Matrix. I'm positive that that's ultimately what's going to be happening. Well, sometimes I say to my wife, between global warming and AI, I'm glad I'm at the top of the mountain right now because it's going to be a long slide down, let me tell you. Okay. Well, we'll keep, uh, obviously, this AI thing is a problem that you're going to keep an eye on. And again, uh, recording a podcast on it, keep your eyes peeled for that. Again, you can always check this out, checkbook.org or consumerman.com. Um, all right. Hey, uh, you know, you spent some, it's, we've, we're talking about that we're coming to the end of the summer and there's still a lot of hot days left and a lot of sunny days left. I mean, August is predictably one of the hottest and sunniest months of the year, especially yep. for like uh, where I live in Chicago. No, um, no, even in Seattle, we yeah. don't have rain. We have, that's why they hold the hydroplane races here and the blue angels come the first week in August, second week in August, because it's dry and we have forest fires and, and it's sunshine. So, no, this is a perfect yeah. time to talk about sunscreen. Well, we're talking about sunscreen is what we want to talk about. You got an article at checkbook.org about staying safe, top rated sunscreens. This is one of the services that you guys uh, provide, checking out these uh, products for, uh, for all of us. Uh, sunscreens are pretty important to, 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 to health, to, to skin health, uh, when you're out in the sun, obviously. 
Absolutely. And even if it's not a sunny day, a lot of people don't realize that the sun can get to the UV rays can get through the clouds. So you can get a sunburn or, or you're damaging your skin, even when it's a cloudy day, if you're out for too long. And also uh, there was a study I just read about a dermatology publication where people who sit on the beach all day long under the umbrella. Yeah, you're in the shade, but you know, the UV rays bounce off the sand and they can still hit you. So anytime you're outdoors for a significant amount of time and for, for me, that's more than 15 minutes because I burn real easily. Right. Make sure you put on the sunscreen. I looked up some statistics. Skin cancer is the most common form of cancer in the U.S. by far, and melanoma is the most dangerous form of skin cancer. About 100,000 Americans are expected to be diagnosed with new cases of melanoma this year, according to the American Cancer Society. Unfortunately, 8,000 of them will die. I had my best friend in college died from melanoma at a very young age. Hmm. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, uh, it is not a pleasant way to go because in many cases, this metastasizes and goes to your brain. Um, you just don't want to get melanoma. That's something you really want to protect against. So sunscreen is really, really important. And if you use it properly, so a good sunscreen used properly, and we'll talk about properly in a second because most people don't do that, it can reduce your skin cancer risk and lower your chances of getting melanoma by 50%. That is a big drop in the risk for melanoma. So that's why you want to use this stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so so you know I know a lot of people like those things that you mentioned the the, the warning not the warning signs but people are like ah it's not cloudy out I don't need it or I'm mm -hmm. you know under the umbrella it's important that you mention that and so what were what, what did you guys what, what was found uh, well, well we reported on the test the consumer reports does every year uh, because the products always change and the and the consistency and the makeup so consumer reports every year tests sunscreens and puts out brand new ratings and they tested fifty five lotions and sprays with an SPF of 30 or higher to get their results this year. And the, the winners are, and if you miss these, don't worry, they're right on my website, consumerman.com or at checkbook.org. Copper Tone Water Babies Lotion SPF 50. That received a perfect score of 100 points and is also a CR Smart Buy. Most products CR tests never get 100 points. Wow. And this one has been a top performer for many, many years. It's not just for babies. So it's called Water Babies, but Copper Tone Water Babies Lotion SPF 50. Uh, two, uh, th uh, three other lotions did really well. Everyday Humans Oh My Bod Lotion. That's an SPF 50. Got 83 points. La Roche Posay. Ethelos Melt and Milk Lotion, SPF 60, 73 points. And here's one that's uh, is easy to find, Equate Ultra Lotion, SPF 50, which is sold at Walmart, and that got 68 points. Now, they mm. also rated sprays. A lot of people like sprays. So the top rated there was Trader Joe's, SPF 50, 74 points. Neutrogena Beach Defense Water and Sun Protection Spray, SPF 50, 71 Black Girl Sunscreen Make It Glow Spray, SPF 30, 68 points, and Sunburn Premium Spray, SPF 50, 67. So all of these are good candidates. Uh, again, if you miss them, they're on consumerman.com, checkbook.org. Any sunscreen, Nick, is better than no sunscreen, obviously, but a, a good sunscreen is obviously better. Uh, and uh, these ones have been shown to, uh, you, want a, you want a good sunscreen, you want a broadband sunscreen to block the UVA and the UVB rays, both the burning rays and the cancer-causing and aging the skin rays. And you want something that's water-resistant so that if you go in the water, you still need to put it on, but it's going to be better for you. So those are the, the kind of things that you're looking for when you buy a sunscreen. And the reason why they test SPF 30 is because 
Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of experts I've talked to say go with an SPF 40, because if you don't put it on properly, you'll at least get an SPF 30 if you, if you get a 40 or 50. But it gets to the ridiculous number, like there are some SPF 100s. It, it only goes up incrementally after you get above about a 50. Uh, so like a, a 50 blocks 98% and an SPF 100 blocks 99% of the sun's uh, UV rays. So you know if you're above a, th a 30 stops 97 so if you're above a 30, you're doing just fine. You don't expect an extra money in an SPF 100. But like I said, if you get a 40 or 50, it gives you just a little bit of wiggle room so that if you don't put it on properly, you got that all the protection mm -hmm. you know you want. I get confused by the whole S S uh, uh, SPF stuff, and I, you you actually you guys uh, uh you know you you actually clarify it and go into detail in the article, and you mentioned it here. But I always like I see S SPF, I'm like I don't even know what what you know like <laughs> I just see numbers and I'm like I don't know I just rub something on my skin now I'll be fine. It's like the ratings in Radio Nick. The higher, the better. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Now I get it. Okay, sure. Now I got it. I, I got it. I, I got it. You know, and very fortunately, I had high numbers, so I'm good. Yes, uh, was, absolutely. Was good. You were at SPF 100. I was, absolutely. For a while, I was. Absolutely. You no were high. About it. Now, now, what about the chemicals that are in sunscreens? Uh, you know, some people are like, maybe they're, maybe they're concerned about it. Like, you know, okay, I've got this SPF, and it's a 50 or a 90 or whatever. It's going to protect me. But what about the other stuff that's in these sprays and lotions? What, or, or, you know, how, how do people feel a little bit safer about that well a lot of people are concerned about having too many chemical products these days and consumer reports has tested sunscreens for years with natural ingredients and while they do work they don't perform as well as sunscreens with chemical ingredients the natural ingredients are zinc oxide and titanium dioxide they actually block there's like they're the white things they block the sun from getting to your skin but there has been some question about some of the ingredients in sunscreen and i'm not going to get into all the chemical names if you want to know more it's in the story but there has been some concern the fba has fda has asked for data from uh the manufacturers because some of these things do get through the skin at this point in time, there's no indication. <clears throat> all the health experts, all the doctors say there's no indication there is any health problem at this point in time. But they're they're looking at it because we use it for a number of years and a, a lot of times. Uh, so at this point in time, the uh, it, the chemicals ones do work better. Consumer Reports tests show. But as I said before, any sunscreen is better than none. So if you want to use the uh, the the mineral ones, go with that. The ones that have the zinc oxide or the, the titanium mm. dioxide. Side, those are the way to go and i want to not skip this because we i did mention it a couple of times about using it properly so you're supposed so picture this in your mind's eye a shot glass worth of sunscreen is how much sunscreen you should put on all the exposed parts of your body that's how much should be used you know so if it's basically it's an ounce so if you have an eight ounce uh, uh, uh container of sunscreen you should that should last you eight times if that's lasting you the entire summer because you just put a little dab on a little dab here uh uh not working so eight servings so to speak should come out of an eight ounce container of sunscreen 16 out of a 16 ounce container and again mm. you're supposed to put it on every two hours while you're in the sun and also if you're sweating heavily or like if you're jogging or whatever or if you go in the water when you come out so you know that 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 one bottle of sunscreen is not going to last you the entire summer you need to use it uh, liberally and don't miss places you know don't miss under the armpits it could be exposed the, the soles of your feet you know they can they can get burned as well you need to put it everywhere and even if you're dark skinned this was a big thing i made a uh, point i made in the story sunscreen is for every skin color if right. you're out in the sun for a significant amount of time yes uh you know a lot of uh, darker skinned folks do not get 
skin cancer at any rates near the, the Caucasian folks because of the extra melanin in their skin. But yes, people of darker skins, especially African-Americans, do get skin cancer every year. You don't want to be one of those statistics. And right. it also, the UV rays will get through and, and age your skin. And you don't, you don't want to be wrinkly, Nick. Trust me yeah. on that one. No, so, I know. I'm with you. <laughs> so, so the quote I put in from the American Academy of Dermatology is people of all colors, including those with brown and black skin, get skin cancer. Even if you never sunburn, you can get, get skin cancer. You need to wear sunscreen when you're outdoors. Now, the other thing that you mentioned here in the article uh, is that you know uh, a lot of people wait until they're at the beach to put it on. Correct. Uh, and But it says in here, and I, maybe I didn't even know this, that it takes fifteen an average of 15 to 30 minutes for your skin to absorb the sunscreen. So people yeah. who get out to the beach and, and then put the sunscreen on, it's going to take 15 minutes to 30 minutes for it to, to do its job. So that's 15 minutes to 30 minutes where you're going to be in the sun without protection for a little bit. Correct. So if you can put it on, like if you're on a vacation and just about to leave the, the hotel room or the apartment or whatever, if you can put it on ahead of time yeah. or, you know, that will actually help you greatly because it'll be working once you're out of the sun. Or if not, I guess the very least is try to, if you're out in the sun, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to do this. Stay under an umbrella, at least or the shade, put sure. it on, give it a little bit of time to work uh, and then, and then go that way. Yeah. The other thing um, that I think is really important is I use sun spray. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, too much information, but I'm hairy. So I like uh, sun spray versus sun lotion. It's really easy to do. I put it on, rub it around. You got to put it on really good. I mean, it's got to be, you got to be watery when you put this on. Yeah. The problem is that you got to make sure you don't inhale that stuff because no one is knowing what those chemicals are going to do if you inhale them. Right. So you want to make sure if you put it, when you're putting it on your face, you want them and you know, don't, don't be downwind. Like don't be spraying yourself and the wind's coming this way, but put it on your hands rub your right. hands together and then put it on your face. And that's especially true with kids. You don't want to be spraying the stuff all over the kids. If you're going to be doing it, you know, like do the lower legs and maybe the arms. And then when you do the, the top of them and the head, put it on your hands Got and then rub the hand, the, that on the kids. So you're not getting any of that spray near the kids. That's really, really important. A spray or a lotion, if it's good and the SPF is there, either one can be equally as effective. It's not like lotions because they're thicker or any better. Right, right. Put on properly. If it's a good sunscreen, same at SPF, it will do the same job. It's just what's the ease of application for you. All right. And, uh, and that list of all of the graded uh, 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 sunscreens are is available in the article at, at checkbook.org. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Consumerpedia podcast, uh, the last week's episode, uh, you were talking about some of the best deals on appliances. Um, and it, and there's still a lot of uh, sales uh, practices there that are a little uh, sneaky and how to avoid that. Uh, tell us about the podcast and then tell us about some of the appliance deals. Sure. This is the latest episode of the Consumerpedia podcast, uh, episode 44, I think. We're nowhere near the Nick D, but I do mine every other week. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm older than you. I want to take it easy. I no. understand. But uh, so, you know, the key is that a lot of people shop around for appliances. And what we found out from doing our secret uh, shopper, mystery shoppers uh, shopping for 17 different appliances is that most of the big box stores and a lot of the local independent stores sell the exact same appliance for the exact same price. And that is because of a practice called MAP, minimum, I knew I was going to forget this, uh, minimum average pricing. No, it's it's got to be something like, can you okay. stop for just uh, uh herb yeah, say i do so many oh it's called map it's called um map minimum advertised price and well, you were you were you were almost right herb so close so and, close uh, and so what it uh means is that retailers cannot advertise the price below the a certain level that the that the 
retail, the, the manufacturer is telling them because they don't want everybody undercutting each other. And the stores are happy with that because they make it look like they're giving you a really good price, but they're not really fighting the competition and doing a price war kind of thing. Right. So because of that, when we look, most of the same appliances were basically the same. In a couple instances, or if it's a real high end, you might be able to get a savings. So the trick is because it's advertised price, the A and MAP, as we now know, stands for minimum advertised price. If you go into the store or contact the store, you may be able to get a better price because they're not advertising it. Does that make I sense? Yep, yep. So, well, so what Checkbook did and what we suggest is contact a couple of local, you probably don't get that flexibility at the big box stores, Lowe's, Home Depot, that sort of thing, but find some independent uh, stores in your area, good retailers, and you can either call them or send them an email and say, hi, I'm price shopping for the Samsung XYZ W23145 uh, washer and dryer set. Or, um, sorry about that. I just That's closed okay. my outlet so we don't have that obnoxious sound coming That's all the okay. time. That's okay. Don't worry about it. And, uh, or I'm looking for the, you know, the, uh, the Bosch ABC XYZ dishwasher and give me the best price you can give me. And I want it all inclusive. I want delivery, installation. If it's there's a charge for taking my appliance away, like I want the what the bottom line price is going to be, and I will choose, and be nice about it. You know, don't be nasty, but I, I'm going to pick the one who gives me the best price, and you can probably save. Uh, we figure a couple hundred dollars on a, a standard kind of appliance if you do that kind of thing because they can compete on price, but it doesn't violate their MAP agreement that they have with the manufacturer. The other thing that you might want to do is we went when we bought our washer and dryer and we were very limited to the models we could get because our older house has a very small space where the washer and dryer can go. Mm. And you know today's washer and dryers are like 33. The, uh, the front loaders are 33, 35 inches deep. And we only had 30 inches or I was going to have to knock a wall out and spend a gazillion dollars because it had all the pipes and electricity in it to move right. that wall out. We right. found one and we actually were at the store and it was a demo model and it had a couple of scratches on it. And, uh, the guy said, yeah, I'll give you a deal on that because it's the demo model. It's got some scratches. I don't care. The scratches were on the side where no one's going to see it. it was up against the wall. So you can find out possibly if there's some models like that, that you can save even more. And it came with a full warranty. So there was nothing to worry about as far as the servicing of the appliance. And we got a really good deal by doing that kind of thing. Or if there's discontinued or closeouts or something like that, there are ways if you go to the store that you can save on appliances. The other big thing that we point out, and you and I talked about this before because we've done this, this story before, but it was part of this story, is the fake sales that a lot of uh, stores have. And that's very common with appliances. You know, right. originally 20 $100 now for only $1,600. And we found that in most cases, the product either never sold at the higher price or maybe sold at the higher price for 60 minutes or whatever it was, and that you're really not getting a deal. Those are fake sales that are designed to give you the impression, the illusion that you're saving money, but the uh, item always goes on sale at that price. So you're really, really not saving money. Gotcha. So and again, 70 off percent off, 60% off. Forget the percentages. It's the bottom line. How much am I going to pay for that appliance? And again, what's the delivery charge? Is there a delivery charge? What's the installation charge? Are you going to take my old appliance away? What is the bottom line for this transaction? What is the check or the credit card bill going to say at the bottom line with right. no surprises added on? So Right. Okay. And all those details and in in everything is in uh, last week's uh, episode yes. of uh, Consumerpedia Podcast. So yep. how you can... Uh, how you can uh, 
you can get your uh, appliances without getting ripped off or having any problems. Yep. Okay. Well, now it's time for uh, for for Herb Weissbaum's movie corner. <laughs> yep. movie reviews well there's a documentary and i've not seen it yet i'm well i'm well aware of it and i've heard about it and, and we've been you know the critics have been told about it and informed about it and everything and it, it's a it's a film called poisoned and it is a netflix documentary and you went to the premiere and this was uh this began as a story in 1992 that you actually as the consumer man covered and you were there on the front lines during this story and now they've made a documentary called poisoned which uh, the take the taking off point is this story from 1992. Tell me yes. about the story, and then tell me about the movie Poisoned. Sure. So the story uh, that started this, and it came out as a book uh, five or six years ago, and then they made it into a documentary and expanded the reach of the of what they looked at was the Jack in the Box E. coli outbreak case. It took place in 1992 on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and it was kids who were eating undercooked hamburgers. All of a sudden, they got really sick. They had like kidney failure or liver problems or, you know, it, uh, debilitating. They got uh, disabilities. It went to their brain. Uh, they, it was just a horrible, horrible situation. And it was very similar to when COVID first hit that no one knew what the hell was going on. We had never seen this before. There were versions of E. coli out there, but this was a version of E. coli, a mutant, mutant version that really went to your internal organs and really could kill you. I mean, there are people that die from E. coli poisoning every year now, this uh, this version of E. coli that was found in meat. And uh, then there was a situation where kids at daycare centers who never ate a hamburger, never went to Jack in the Box, were getting sick because we learned that the uh, the E. coli could be transferred in the poop if they didn't clean the diaper, uh, that wash their hands in between mm, changing diapers, sure. like a daycare center is between one kid and the other. So it was a really weird, we also didn't know at that time that if you gave people antibiotics, which would be the standard treatment for something like that, the antibiotics actually made the toxins worse and the E. coli was more likely to kill you. So this was a, this was a pretty scary thing here that came down the pike. And a local lawyer who turned out 31 years later is a very good friend of mine because all he's done is food poisoning cases and actually took the money he made on these cases and started a food foundation uh, to help make food safer. Safer is a guy named Bill Marler. He handled this case. And so they made the documentary. It's called Poison, the Dirty Truth About Your Food with uh, emphasis on the word dirty. Right. And it looks at it starts with the E. coli situation and it turns out and I won't uh, give everything away, but it turns out that Jack in the Box was not telling the truth when it said uh, that uh, they were telling their uh, franchisees what temperature to cook the uh, meat to so it would be safe. They really were telling the franchisees to cook it at a lower temperature because it would taste better and it was not safe. And Bill found that in discovery after going through a million something documents or whatever. He, he found that in, his, in when he did the lawsuit. And then it goes up through the situation now where we're having... Uh, E. coli and all kinds of other dangerous bacteria in produce. And we're having uh, salmonella in uh, chicken. And uh, there were cases where there was a guy at a peanut factory and he was selling peanut butter and peanut products that he knew for a fact uh, were contaminated with salmonella that were making people sick, continued to do it anyway. He was sentenced to 20 something years in prison. I believe he's still out on appeal, but he got a, he was actually committed, com, uh, convicted of a crime and mm-hmm. got uh, got serious prison time. And then it looks at what the government agencies are or are not doing to protect us. Uh, Marler, God bless him. After this was all over, he literally went to the FDA and got them to change the regulations that uh, considered E. coli, this version of E. coli, an adulterant, which meant that the food companies had to test for it, and if they found that they had to recall it. 
Well, after a couple of 500 million pound recalls <laughs> or 50 yeah. million pound recalls, et cetera, they figured it out real quickly. And Marler said, we haven't had a single meat E. coli case since that, since the day back in the Jack in the Box days, they figured it out. There were some new wow. procedures put in place, new processes. They test for it. salmonella now in chicken. Uh, Consumer Reports did a study in 2022. 31% of the ground chicken they found at the supermarket contained salmonella. And previous tests had shown that the uh, fresh chicken is loaded with salmonella as well. It's because of the way it's processed. In this documentary, they talk to the USDA and say, why don't you do something about this? And, you know, you get that old government shrug. Eh, you know, yeah. it's it's an animal product. It's going to have bacteria in it, which is exactly the same as what the FDA said about cows. Right. Well, they figured it out with cows. You can figure it out with chickens. Let me tell you, you really could have you put your mind to it. The other thing which was really um, visually stimulating, uh, you know, really got you sick, is they had a drone shot. The problem is that a lot of the the produce now is being grown right next to cattle. So right. they have this cattle lot, this drone shot of 4,000 herd of cow, head of cattle getting ready to be slaughtered. There's a little water thing in between. Sometimes it's a little river or a creek. Sometimes it's an irrigation ditch, whatever. And then right across on the other side, they're growing lettuce. You know, um, there's an yeah. old expression, poops goes downstream, you know, rolls yeah. downstream. I mean, yeah. you wonder why maybe your lettuce is getting contaminated. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And the USDA's answer was in this documentary, we don't really have a lot of control of things while they're on the farm. We deal with it afterwards. Mm. Um, I would say that's a bunch of poop, quite frankly. Somebody needs to figure this out, change the regulations, do whatever, because a lot of people are getting sick from produce, which you don't cook. That's the problem with produce. I mean, you could say you have to cook chicken, you have to cook meat. You don't have to, you don't cook right. produce. And, if it, and it can get up into the, the leaves. So even if you wash it or pre-wash lettuce or whatever, it can, the, the stems can suck it up into the leaves. So it's got to be protected before we get it. And when I, so I went to this premiere, they had, the, the first premiere was in Tribeca, the Tribeca Film yep. Festival. Yep. And Marler said, if I'm going to do that when I come back, you got to do it on Bainbridge Island, Washington, where I live, because this is where it all happened. So they had this second premiere in Bainbridge Island, Washington, a funky little movie theater called the Linwood. 400 people were there. The governor came. There were a lot of people who had been affected by this outbreak of some kids who are now 30 years old and parents and health advocates and everything. Right. After the movie, they asked me to MC and I asked a bunch of questions and somebody turned to me and said, Mr. Weissbaum, as a reporter, why is food safety so much better in Europe than it is in America? And I said, I'll give you the short answer. We're stupid. Basically, in Europe, they decide the government should protect people. They should protect with food safety. They should protect people with uh, privacy. They should protect people against guns. And here in America, it's like let everything happen, whatever it is, and we'll deal with it on the back end. And that's really the truth. And the figure from this this documentary, in between everybody saying we have the safest food supply in the world, which we don't, 48 million people got sick from foodborne illness in the U.S. every year. 48 million people, according wow. to the CDC, and some of them unfortunately die. It's a wow. lot of people who could be protected. So, wow. and the and the uh, the uh, the thing the premiere was uh, last week. The premiere was a couple of weeks ago here in Seattle. August the second. So yeah. right in, right so, after the podcast for anybody who wants to watch it, and it, it really is. Please don't be eating uh, before or after. You right. Watch. Yeah. Right. I, I so it, it, it drops August 2nd, which means tomorrow it'll yeah. uh, it will drop. Exactly. It'll drop tomorrow. And you can check it out on Netflix. And the movie, again, is called Poisoned. And uh, and uh, and Herb, uh, you, you were you were uh, satisfied with how thorough it was that they did a good job. Uh, you think it's a, you think it's a good film that people should watch and they'll learn something from it. 
The only thing that upset me was they had all these clips from all the reporters in Seattle. I lived this story for a year. I was on like every day, once or twice a day, plus on the network covering it. Not one second of Herb in the documentary. Oh, come on, man. But every one of my friends was on, so that way it's not about me. But yes, Oh, it was man. Uh, it was, and they didn't was, even, they didn't, did they cover the fact that you almost murdered Porcelain Ken? Is that in the movie or no? <laughs> no, that's not there. Oh, By okay. the way, I, right. I, did, I know you're out of time. I did forget one thing. Um, for people who want to find out about the appliance stores in their area, I forgot yeah. to mention this. Uh, you can get the ratings. We have the ratings for seven U.S. cities. So Chicagoland, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. Dozens and dozens and dozens of appliance stores have been rated by our members and by our undercover shoppers in these areas. Go to checkbook.org slash Podcast. You'll get a 30-day free trial subscription. You could look at those ratings and anything else you're interested in. We'd love you to join if you live in those cities, but no obligation. Checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast for the free ratings. There you go. Free ratings. And that's a, that's a nice service that uh, you guys are providing. Checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast exclusively for my listeners. Herb, always a pleasure. Uh, and I will see you. It'll be almost, it'll be Labor Day. I believe it's on Labor Day uh, the next time oh, we speak. Well, we'll, so, yeah. so make sure you wear your sunscreen, cook your hamburger really well and wash your yeah. hands before you watch poison. That's right. Before I, before I throw a porcelain can at the wall. <laughs> um, all right, Herb, I will talk to you in September, buddy. Have a great month. Thanks, Nick. Be well. Bye-bye. Right, see you later. There you go. Herb Weissbaum, everybody. He is the consumer man, and he is the porcelain can murderer. <laughs> in all seriousness, check him out at checkbook.org. Uh, and, you know, and take advantage of that, uh, of that offer. Uh, checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast. Get on there. All right. You know what? Cars are awesome, and here's the guy to tell you about them. Tom That's right. The jamming theme song right there. Uh, it is time to talk to Tom Appel as we continue with For the People uh, on the Nick T Podcast, episode 163. So let's say hello to the one, the only, Tom Appel. Hi, Tom. Hey, Nick. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Good. Enjoying your summer because it's coming to a This is August 1st. We're getting close to the end of the summer, which makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I think we've dodged a bullet because we have not had any especially hot weather yet. Yeah, we had a, we had a, a little bit of it just this past week. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Couple of, couple of days where it was like, Ugh, but nothing like in the past where we've had 10, 11 days in a row with you know heat indices in the 110s. We've been, we've been a little lucky, although the rest of the country, not so much. No. The rest of the wor- actually, the rest of the world, actually, <laughs> not so much. Been a rough, uh, rough, some rough, hot, hot weather out there, man. So we've been a little lucky. Yeah, it may be ingracious of me to mention the weather here, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, is, is summertime, you know, speaking of summer really quickly, summertime, best time to drive? Good time to drive. You yeah. know what it complicates for me is photography. I like to take pictures and, and share those pictures of every car I test drive. And, and you can't really take car pictures when the sun is up or when the sun is uh, out. You need clouds and, and you need the sun to be down. So in the summer... When it's daytime for a long time, yeah. it's very hard to get good pictures of Wait, cars. Why, okay, why is it better to take pictures of cars when the sun's not out or it's cloudy? Uh, because the sun really messes with the shadows. So you you either get the top of the car or the side of the car. But if the sun is out, you don't get both. So you end up oh. with dead spots or bright spots really hard. And cars are obviously very reflective. So that messes with stuff as well. Wow. 
You know, I learn something new every time I talk to you, Tom. You know? <laughs> it's amazing. You're one of my favorite guests. And as I've said this a million times before, I, ha I haven't driven legally in uh, over 20 years. <laughs> legally. Uh, and I don't own a car right now. Uh, and yet, you know, like every time I talk to you, I learn something new and I have a blast. You're the best, man. Well, thank you. Um, so, Tom, tell everybody about Consumer Guide Automotive. Uh, and uh, the, the, so the website, the updated website, up, running, having some good times with that? Yeah, the site looks really good, and it's, it's yeah. running really quickly now. This is, this is just me celebrating things that are behind, uh, behind the screen, but, <laughs> right. but it's running right. really well. So fingers crossed I'm happy because we had to redesign it, and, yeah, and I know. Uh, it, it I know. came off well. It, so that's yeah, it looks, exciting. It looks great, man. It, it looks great. Thank you. And, uh, and it's yeah. fun to navigate. It's really, really cool. But tell everybody about Consumer Guide Automotive, of which you are the publisher. Yeah, Consumer Guide Automotive. We've been around since 1967. I've been a part of that since, I don't know what it was, 2000, something like that. Uh, also, all the new car reviews you ever want are right there. If you go to consumerguide.com, you can also stream the Car Stuff podcast, which is downloadable as well. But that's all right there, too. And our blog is there where I try to have fun with uh, what's going on in the car world. And we do talk about the blog quite frequently because there's so much fun stuff on it. We'll get to a little bit of that. And again, uh, I always like to give a shout out to your podcast. I was lucky enough to have been a guest, had a fantastic time uh, as a guest, and I love listening to it. And you don't have to be a car maniac uh, to listen to it. It's a wonderful and entertaining and informative podcast. And as a guest, let me just say, you guys run a great podcast. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, thank you. And we try to keep it very consumer level and accessible. Yeah, very, very cool. All of that stuff is at consumerguide.com. Uh, yep. Consumer Guide Automotive. How do people follow you on the uh, on on the X? <laughs> so, it, uh, who who would have thought of this a couple of months ago? Like, how can people follow you on X and Threads? <laughs> I I am not on Threads. You're not on Threads yet. Oh man. Okay. But on my phone, the Twitter icon just changed to X, which yeah. is a little creepy because I didn't do it. Um, uh, but I I am Car Guy Tom on X. Okay. On X. <laughs> Yeah, mine changed immediately. I know a lot of people were like, oh, it didn't change on my phone. Mine immediately, like, I, I, you know what it is? It's because I had, like, a Google issue uh, oh. a couple of weeks ago. There was some sort of weird issue, and uh, my guy Ed at, at Radio... Oh, I know what it was. It was when Threads launched. Um, and when Threads launched, you have to use the same name that you have on Instagram because it's shared. Oh, so whatever your name is on Instagram, whatever your screen name is on Instagram, that's going to be your screen name on threads. Interesting. And so my man, Ed, who does all the behind the scenes tech editing stuff for these podcasts, he's the he's the brains of the outfit. I'm just an idiot in a mic in front of a microphone. Ed Silla is the guy who runs Radio Misfits. And he sent me a text. He's like, hey, man, uh, any way you can change your Google name to coincide with threads and Instagram um, because like it's it's kind of insane and, and I'm like okay I'll try and I tried and and I whoa something's going on sorry right? about that that's okay I'm good <laughs> oh yeah uh, so I tried to change it and then something happened where I got like kicked out of Google <laughs> and I couldn't get back in so I had to get rid of the app and re-download it and re-download it and when I did everything refreshed and so when the X thing happened, because I had the new version of Google as opposed to uh -huh. the old, I, I, it turned to X immediately. People were like, because I, I remember like checking my thing and it changed from Google. The bird disappeared and the big X popped up and I went, Ugh, what is this? <laughs> what is this? So I was right on the, because a lot of people said that it changed on their laptop or on their desktop, but not on their phone. So it was... So the X changed on the laptops and desktops first, and then the phone. But my phone changed because I had downloaded a new, the new Google. 
Yeah, I think my desktop Google, the new changed. the new Twitter Twitter. Sorry, I've been saying Google Twitter Twitter. Yeah, my my desktop changed this week, and today my phone changed. Isn't that weird? I don't yeah. know. What, I, I, guess it, I guess it took a little while, but I was right. I was on the first. I was one of the first people for it for that bird to disappear and the big X to pop up, which was a little frightening. But anyway, so but you are on X. You're just not on Threads. Okay. Yes, correct. Okay, cool. But we can find you everywhere else, especially Facebook, where you do Come Star on. Spotter and uh, and Mystery Show, and we will get to that in a little bit. But let's get to some car stuff. Okay. Uh, before we jump into what you've been driving and test driving and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, you did want to take a moment to thank one of my subscribers and one of our listeners. And could you please go ahead and do that and talk a little bit about uh, someone that was that sent you some cool stuff, I guess? Yes, an, ex- an insanely generous fan of the Nick D podcast called me a week or two ago. And, and Joyce, if I was not super friendly when I picked up the phone, I was sure it was spam. So forgive me. <laughs> okay. But it was not. It was, it, was, it was Nick D podcast listener Joyce who wanted to know... Her father had passed away if I wanted some brochures of his. Oh, and wow. car brochures are famously, famously popular with car people. They, they're, they're often beautiful, they're well-crafted, and they're hyper-collectible. And, and I didn't think much about it at the time, and I was still a little groggy, and I gave her my address, and she sent it off to me. These aren't just brochures. These are beautiful early Porsche brochures. And, mm. and they are on beautiful paper with incredible art. Wow, uh, and they're all of the Type 356, which was the first Porsche. And uh, Joyce, thank you. I love these. I will treasure these. Wow. Well, what what year are we talking? What year car? Um, the, the the 356 went between 1948 and something like 1965. It was really the first Porsche. Wow. It was it was replaced by the 911, which I think everybody knows. Everybody knows uh, that one. Wow. Yeah. So those those brochures date that far back? They do. Yeah, and that's wow. the car that uh, like James Dean got in trouble in. Man, it's that that's car. amazing. Holy cow. And so her, it was her father who passed or her grandfather? Uh, I think it was her father. Her father passed and left. And, and wow, that's really nice. That's really nice of her, generous of her to send those to you. That's great. It was super nice, and I'm very yeah. grateful. And, you, and, I, and as people know, you know, uh, you know we mentioned the, the blog on Consumer Guide Automotive. A lot of that stuff, you, know, you, get, you get inspired by all the old magazines and all the old brochures that you have sitting around. And so this will go to good use. You can probably do a piece about old Porsches now. I probably will, at least just the, the cover art on these brochures, because it's hand-drawn stuff, oh, and man. a lot of that art was fantastic. Wow, that's cool. Well, Joyce, thank you. One, thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate that. And thank you for sending Tom those really lovely brochures. That's awesome. Man, so you say that they're collectible because, man, I'll tell you something. Uh, I know in, in, in all the years and in the moves and things like that, uh, the 9 million brochures that I used to take home from the auto show are probably all gone <laughs> and those were all would those all be collectible all the, the the brochures that we would take from the auto show from years past they would be and i had a bunch from the late 70s and early 80s where i'd go to the show grab one of the bags they're always yep. plastic bags Absolutely. and you'd stuff one with every brochure for Completely. no reason you yep. just did it yep Yep. And I'm pretty sure my dad tossed them because they would still be at my parents' house. But if yeah. I have them, I could be rich. I don't know. Could, man, oh, man. I took it. And just like you, Tom, I, I would walk out with 12 pounds of those things at the, yeah. at the end of the day. Like, just like, because they were free. Like, hell, I'll take them. I would go to every, because I, and I'm not really, as you know, I've never been a real car guy. And, and, but I didn't care. They were free and they were cool. And so I jammed the bags full of them. <laughs> they are now, cool. Course, I love them. Now, of course, they're worth money and I'm not. All right. Very good. <laughs> 
All right, Tom, I uh, always ask you, what have you been driving? What's, you know, because you always, when we, when we record this, it's like the first day of a new car for you that you're test yeah. driving. What are you in now? Um, I just got the, uh, the Jeep Compass Trailhawk. That is Jeep's compact crossover ready for the trail. So it's got raised right height, off-road, uh, off-road ready wheels and tires, things like that. So, trail, ha- trail hog? Trail hawk. Oh, hawk, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pressed together little, is one word. That's a little different. Although Trail Hog is a great name. <laughs> okay, so it's Trail Hawk one word, not Trail Hog, yeah. as I've uh, made the mistake. Okay. No, but All I right. may call it that now. <laughs> All right, so the Jeep Compass Trail Hawk, uh, as, as you were saying. Yeah, early impressions, and I only drove it to McDonald's for an iced tea this morning, so that's all, that's all the experience I have. Uh, nice interior. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, what was I'll have the reaction? to drive it more. <laughs> what was the reaction at the drive-thru when you pulled up to the window? Did they go, man, I love your trail hog? They didn't, did they say yeah. that? <laughs> I, I, find, I find the folks at McDonald's sadly ambivalent to my cars. I always pull up, and I want them to be like, another new car? And that never happens. That never happens. Like, dude, you must be rich. Why are you eating here? That's yeah. uh <laughs> Well, that's pretty funny. That's great. Because you know, I will say this, like almost every time, I'm I'm gonna say 95% of the time when I talk with you and you are in a brand new car, because we tape for those people who are uh, you know, who want to get behind the curtain, where it's a Monday. And you know, this is a Tuesday when you're listening to it, but we are recording this on a Monday. And that's your first day in the car. So ninety-five percent of the time, every time you talk, you go, Yeah, I just drove it over to get an iced tea at McDonald's. And that's usually the only <laughs> That's usually the only bit of driving that you've done. How far from the McDonald's is uh, from where you are right now? About eight tenths of a mile. <laughs> so you, it's not a good yeah. test drive. <laughs> 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 oh no, that is not a thorough test drive at all. No, no, no. Eight tenths. <laughs> The, the okay. actual drive-through constitutes like ten percent of that drive. It idles well. Uh, yeah. okay. uh, <laughs> all right, it idles well. And it's got nice interior. Okay, yes. you'll get a much more detailed. This is not. By the way, I just want to let people know that this is not as detailed as it gets at. Consumer no, Day. no, I, I will <laughs> actually review this vehicle at some point. So it's not going to be like if you go to Consumer Guide Automotive and click onto it, it's just going to say nice interior as well. Thank you, and that's it. Yeah. That's not. All right. What were you driving before that? You actually did a, a real test drive. I did. Uh, it was another Jeep product. This was the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, which is Jeep's midsize crossover, the longer version with the third row seat that's pretty functional. The nice thing about the version I drove is that it was relatively affordable. Generally, when manufacturers send me stuff or send any reviewer uh, a car, they tend to be very well equipped and a little bit, a little bit pricey. But this one... On the affordable side, this was a, uh, a Jeep Grand Cherokee Lat- a Latitude. That's the trim level. Mm-hmm. Uh, cloth seats, not a lot of spiffy stuff inside, and yet it came off as very impressive. It rode well, it handles well, it's quiet. The interior, even though it's a sort of an entry trim level, very nice. Um, mm. I was impressed. Now, this car came to fifty-four grand, which sounds like a lot of money. It's not a lot of money for a Grand Cherokee, and if you didn't get the option package, there's a big option package on it, you'd come in under fifty. Which these days, for a nice midsize yeah. crossover, yeah, yeah, not crazy. No, I mean, you know, based upon the conversations that you and I have, yeah, that doesn't sound 
um, as insane as some of the other prices that are out there. Yeah. But a good, but a good drive. Now, when you drive something like a Jeep, do you try to go nuts? Do you go like, cause I know you like to drive in mud every once in a while. You like Palatine mud as we've talked about in the past. Palatine mud. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you ever try to go to different, ter- like when you're driving like a Jeep or some of these, you know, utility vehicles or things like that, that are meant to be driven like crazy people. Do you ever go to a crazy place and drive like a crazy person? I do. There is the Palatine mud location. I did not take this vehicle there. Okay. Uh, it it kind of had expensive looking wheels, and I didn't want to mess with them. So. Right. 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 <laughs> but if I had something like a Wrangler or a Bronco or something like that, I would absolutely do that. Yeah. Now the the, the Palatine mud. What is that? I mean, you know. Now for me, every time I think of it, I just to me it's just this gigantic field of mud that you just you go you completely own and you just drive like a maniac in cars with cars i'd like to tell you it was my private testing ground but it's actually a place in palatine behind a fence uh where they collect old crud like mulch and and dead trees and things like that and they're all divided up into huge piles waiting to be collected for i don't know gardening use uh, and you're not technically supposed to drive back there, but no one has ever stopped me. Oh, okay. And who's going to stop you? You just hit the gas, you're off, man. A, a bored cop. I don't know who would do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. So a couple of Jeeps uh, this past. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. Are, how is Jeep doing? Do they Are they selling? Are they popular? Is that, I mean, do people, is the, is the you know, the, 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 like, the likeness of, uh, of Jeep still selling? Jeep is insane because in our lifetimes, Jeep was nothing more than utility vehicles. Right, They right. slowly became passenger vehicles. And, and the Wrangler, for example, which is not the world's greatest personal use vehicle, but it's cool as heck, so people buy them. Yeah. They sell like a quarter million of those a year. And, and the Grand Cherokee that I just drove, they sell about 200,000 of those Holy a year. Cow. So Jeep is actually a very major brand with just uh, on the consumer side these days. Yeah. And on the car side, you car guys, do you guys like Jeep? Here's the funny thing about Jeeps. I I don't want anyone to buy a Wrangler for personal use, and I really want to own a Wrangler. Um, (laughs) Wait a minute. What? (laughs) What? I want everyone to buy like an efficient car that's close to the ground, that's more safe, you know, it's that safer handling Uh and gets better mileage. But, But ultimately, the fun of a Wrangler is undeniable. And, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, so so do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. That's good. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, very very cool. Okay, uh, consumer guide automotive. Uh, we uh, you guys run stories. You do the test drives. You do the blog. All kinds of cool stuff. A couple of stories that we wanted to get to uh, while we have you here. Corvette crossover. What what's going on here? And I'm looking at the name of this thing. What's happening? What is this? Yeah, there's a story here, and then a story behind a story. So I would love Chevrolet, to hear about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chevrolet, almost certainly, this is not confirmed, so it's still at the rumor level, but there are so many rumors that it has to be true. And it sounds like there's factory allocation being made for building such a vehicle. But it's looking like a Corvette crossover or Corvette SUV is in the works. I can't even. And <laughs> I, I can't even, Tom. I can't. Yeah. I seriously can't even. I'm trying to picture it. I'm trying to imagine it. And except for like looking at the pictures that you guys have in the article, it seems very strange to me. Yeah, once you get past what seems like the obvious absurdity of it, it's something that that General Motors almost certainly has to do. Corvette sales are relatively strong, but it's a low-volume vehicle. And it turns out that Lamborghini and Bentley and Ferrari and and all these other Lotus even are either working on or have uh, crossovers in their lineup, and they quickly became the best-selling vehicles in their lineup. Really? Yeah, and part of the reason is that they were selling these, these very high-performance sports cars that were, you know, casual use or weekend use, 
But once you get to crossover territory, you're selling a vehicle that people can drive every day, which opens up a whole new market. And, and Chevy really needs to do that with the Corvette. His Corvette sales are certainly going to continue to slip away. Not because the Corvette isn't awesome. It, it, yeah. it is. And it's especially high value right now relative to like performance brands from Italy. But, but ultimately, they can do a lot more with the brand. So two funny things here. There's probably, almost certainly, going to be a Corvette crossover arriving sometime in the near future. And then there's a backstory to this. Uh -oh. General Motors has wanted to create a Corvette brand that is independent of Chevrolet. And they started way back in the Roger and Me days um, <laughs> un under Roger Smith. They had talked about doing this. And at the time, it was heresy. right? You couldn't do it. Yeah, but but now what they wanted to do because the Corvette is so expensive relative to other Chevys is sell it through Cadillac dealers, but they couldn't oh, do that because right. it was a Chevy. So if the Corvette becomes a separate brand, any dealer in the GM franchise can pick it up. Oh wow! Now is this is this revelatory, Tom? Yeah, I, I think it's insane. It, it's, yeah. it's 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 the kind of thing that um, I think it mattered more to people. 20, 30 years ago that it does now. I think the people would be just a little bit less stunned by it. Yeah. Wow. But that just seems weird to me. A Corvette SUV. There's just something wrong, inherently wrong. Am I nuts or what? No, no, you're exactly right. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is that Porsche has been selling SUVs now for almost 20 years, and they now make up most of the brand. And the folks at Porsche said, uh, we, we make SUVs so we can continue to make the 911. Nice. And, the 911 is actually one of their slowest selling products, but it's it's absolutely instrumental to the brand and the brand identity. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Have you driven a Porsche uh, SUV? The Cayenne? I've driven the Cayenne. I've never driven the Macan, which is the smaller SUV. I hear good things about it, but they're actually wonderful handling vehicles. I would I would hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What do they well go for? Be. How much How much are you dropping on that? Uh, what is uh, the the Cayenne starts right under eighty thousand dollars, I think. Jesus. And then we'll quickly get to two hundred, depending how you equip it. Of course they are. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what's what's so what's going to happen with this? Uh, you know, for, first of all, with the whole like, let's do the Cadillac thing. Let's do that. Is this going to change? I mean, is this going to be? Is this going to make a big impact on the business itself? And what about this car itself? What are people thinking about that? I think the first thing we're going to see is the crossover long before we see any sort of rebranding. Okay. Uh, and that'll arrive in a year or two. We'll probably get a sneak peek at it in the next 12 months, maybe. Uh, and they, that will definitely be sold through Chevy dealers. It'll be about the size of a Corvette, but an SUV. Um, and it should, the original, the first version should be V8 powered. I think that's true to the brand identity. Okay. After that, if the brand is successful, we start to see smaller things. Okay. All right. Uh, in, in general, when you, do you, do you look forward to driving different types of cars? Like, do you go, like when you get an SUV, do you go, well, I don't want to drive an SUV. I'd rather drive, you know, something cooler. Do you have, when you, when you're just test driving? Um, I'm pretty excited about whatever I get into. I think the yeah. only thing that I'm trying to think of anything that bores me and I can't think of anything actually. It's always nice to switch into a new car and because I'm only in a car for seven days, yeah. everything is basically new. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be really frustrating until they notice at the goddamn McDonald's. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> that's, that's the key. <laughs> They've had like 20 years. They don't care. <laughs> now, here's your iced tea. Thank, congratulations on the 16th car you've yeah. driven here in 16 weeks. Their, their ambivalence wounds me. <laughs> that was a band I was in. Ambivalence wounds me, I think. That <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so the Cadillac Corvette SUV. Um, we're living in weird times, Tom. We are living we in are. weird times. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, speaking of weird, what's this Ford story? 
um, about slashing. Uh, what was that? Wasn't there a, there was a movie, a documentary of, uh, about a used car salesman that was directed by John Landis. Documentary directed by John Landis. John Landis, director of Animal House, Blues Brothers, Trading Places. Um, he directed a, and you can Google this like right now if you're near a computer, Tom. Uh, it's called sla- it's called the Slasher or Slasher, yeah, and it's a doc- I have seen this. Oh, okay, there you go. So that's John yeah. Landis directed that, and I remember I had Landis on my show years ago to talk about that. Um, and so, well, first of all, you've seen the movie. What 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 what, what, what do you think of this movie? Oh, I love the movie, and it, 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 it was a wonderful behind-the-scenes look at, at a guy who comes in to sell cars, and he's he's unscrupulous to a degree, but because we see things from his perspective, we almost feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Uh, he promised to move a certain amount of cars over the weekend, and he built the hype, and he built the program, and he got people in there, and then he sold a lot of innocent people crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you you enjoyed that? You you enjoyed? You, did the car guide? Did you all you all you guys over at Consumer Guide watch that when it came out? Because that's like fifteen years old, I think. That movie. we actually did. Yeah, we yeah, passed the DVD you? around. We all, oh, so that that was required watching. Okay, so cool. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, John Landis directed that. In case you didn't know that, um, uh, a legendary comic director. You know, Kentucky Fried Movie, uh, Blues Brothers, Animal House. He directed that movie. Slasher. Yeah, no, I thought the director was great, too. And, and, and a really weird, interesting thing that they did in that movie is as he was running out of time to sell everything, we kept seeing a plane traveling by from a near, nearby airport. And it's something about the pacing of the planes flying around seemed to make the time seem shorter. It was a really effective device. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff. Uh, well, if you've not seen it, you should see it. The reason I bring it up is because Ford is being doing some slashing right now. Is that correct? Yeah, Ford got greedy, and and what happened here is the Ford F-150 Lightning, America's first all-electric pickup truck, launched too much fanfare about two years ago now. And and one of the things about it that was fantastic was this all-electric F-150 pickup. This is a full-size pickup with all-wheel drive. The base model, called the Pro, now that was only for commercial. You couldn't buy that if you were a retail customer. But that vehicle started at $40,000, which seemed Mm. like an incredible value. Yeah, And then with the popularity of the F-150 Lightning, Ford just kept jacking up prices. They kept claiming that the cost of the batteries was too high and, and, and supply chain issues, whatever. But the, the price of that base truck went up 20, or I'm sorry, 50%. It went up to $60,000. And and we've talked about the uh, the federal tax credits, which changed this year. With that change and with the price cap at $80,000, most of the vehicles in that lineup were no longer qualifying for the federal tax credits. And all of a sudden, the, the, the demand for this vehicle dried up. There were no, there were no orders in the pipeline. People stopped, uh, stopped ordering. They weren't picking up their orders. And it's like, oh, Ford found out what the top price was for this car. Oh. <laughs> so they have cut the prices. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. How yeah, does that happen? Crazy. How does that happen? Is there, is there a reason why? Yeah, it's it's just people got wise. Also, yeah. a lot of competition coming. There's a new Chevy, GMC, and Ram electric truck coming relatively soon. And it's looking like the, the Tesla Cybertruck is real and going to arrive soon, too. So mm. I think a lot of people looking for a full-size pickup have decided to wait. So Ford has decided to slash prices by a lot, by as much as $10,000 on the F-150. Holy crap. And- Wow. Yeah, and, and on one critical model, the XLT Long Range, that's the bigger battery, that vehicle was priced at eighty grand, exactly at the price cap. So it would have been impossible for someone to buy one of those and qualify for the seventy five hundred dollar federal tax credit. So they cut the price of that vehicle nine grand. 
So when you apply the nine grand, add the federal tax credit, that's a $16,500 tax credit. So I think demand for that particular oh, model man. is about to go way back up. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. That's crazy. So demand for like, okay, so you, you, you mentioned in the article here why uh, consumer interest is a little bit, is, 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 damp, is damped a little bit by the F-150 the, uh, F, the F, uh, Lightning. Um, and you go through a, a, a little bit of that, like like you mentioned, like the Tyler, the, the Tesla Cybertruck. Yeah, what's a weird name? That feels like shouldn't Yule Brenner from Westworld be driving that? What? <laughs> it looks like that. I don't Does know if it? you've seen a picture. I'm it's not. insane. Is, it, is there a picture here in the article? Like, uh, no, I oh, don't okay. think there is. But okay. it looks like the truck from Damnation Alley. Just smaller. oh well, hell, now we're talking. You know how <laughs> you know how I feel about Damnation Alley, Tom. Come on, I, I, I share I share your affection for that film. <laughs> Wait, so wait, the Tesla Cybertruck kind of looks like the vehicle from Damnation Alley? It's a very weird-looking thing that does not look like a pickup, yes. Wow. Okay, I'm buying yeah. that when I get money. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I sort that, of want one. Is, so how are those? I mean, is there interest in that over the, F, uh, over the F-150 or no? Hard to tell. Uh, Elon Musk claims to have one million orders for the truck. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Okay. And by the way, I enjoy that X. Thanks, Elon. That's really, really <laughs> nice move. Uh, okay. So the Ford got greedy. What do you think is going to be the outcome of this? this uh, uh, any predictions as to what, what's going to happen with Ford and all, in this whole situation or what? Yeah. I mean, Ford is super committed to building this truck, and they were just trying to maximize what they could get from it. And in the early hype, demand was very, very strong. And now they have to find what the real price is for this. The long-term impact is simply that manufacturers of things like electric pickups are going to have to wait a little bit longer to to break even. Mm. Ford thought that they were finding, you know, where what people would pay and, and that that number was artificially high. Oh, okay. All right. You want to read all the details? Ford got greedy and all that cool stuff. Again, check it out, Consumer Guide. Hey, by the way, you know, the last time we talked was at the beginning of July. Yeah. And you were heading on the road for a road trip with an in electric vehicle. And I want to know, I watched a little bit, I saw a little bit of what, what you were posting online, but I want to tell, I want you to tell everybody, how did your road trip go? What was the vehicle you were driving? And in terms of taking, like, because it was a, it was a, it was a 4th of July, like road trip, correct? Yep. Yep. And, uh, and, and what was it like? What was the vehicle and driving like a road trip with an electric vehicle? Care to do a little report on that? No, I don't mind at all. Okay. Uh, it, it, in a nutshell, uh, the trip went just fine with some minor charging annoyance. So. I was driving the Lexus RZ450E, which is Lexus's first electric uh, vehicle. It is a pure electric vehicle. It's a compact crossover. Very yeah. nice car. Yeah. Uh, nothing about this car isn't nice, except for one thing. Its range is limited. About 214 miles, I think, is the peak range. And, and that doesn't include getting on the highway, which is bad from um, EV range, and using the air conditioning. And it was Ooh. hot. Oh, so man. my wife and I drove up to Milwaukee. And I had to charge up there, right? It seemed dicey that I would get to Milwaukee and back on a single charge. Right. Now, now you said that you, when we talked, Tom, you said that you had mapped out, you knew where there was a station that you could, you could go to charge. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, yeah. and how did that work out? So that worked out fine. Here's the only annoyance. I could have okay. gotten gas across the street from where my wife was visiting my mother-in-law, but I had to drive about eight miles to go get a charge. So uh, that's kind okay. of... Yeah, so the the charging station about eight miles from where my wife was visiting my mother-in-law, and and that's a bit of a hassle, right? Eight miles each way if you only have 214 miles of range is considerable, and that was the closest charging station up in Milwaukee. Um, I got to an Electrify America station where things went pretty well. 
Um, it was a fast charger, worked well, but not all the information was available on the screen, which was sort of frustrating. Uh, and then here's an interesting thing and kind of a scam. Uh, best practice suggests that you only charge using a fast charger to 80% of battery capacity. That's good for the battery's life. And also things slow down at that point and they want you to move on so someone else can use the charger. Sure. So that's, that's how the system should work. I learned too late that this particular charger charged not by the kilowatt hour, but by time. So it's paying by the minute. So up oh. to 80% charge. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. Up to 80% charge, I was only out like seven bucks, which seemed like a deal to drive to Milwaukee. Um, but I decided, because I had time, to just let it charge a little bit longer, not realizing that it, at 80%, the charger slows down dramatically. So, oh. <laughs> Oh, wow. So I'm paying this minute rate oh. for a really, really slow charge. And I ended oh. up paying like 16 bucks total to get from 80 to 83%. Oh, that's crazy. It is. Oh. Is there anybody you can contact since you're in the biz? Can you go, hey, you might want to look at this. No, I think that's the way they mean for it to work. Oh. I do have to write about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can write about it, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Are and people just are people not going to realize that? Maybe they'll just not even you know pay attention. Well, people shouldn't be like me, and they should actually stop at eighty percent. So at which point, no harm done. I see. Uh, but going longer burns you, and they want it to burn you because they want you to move on. I see. Yeah, and because not, you, because the next person, yeah. as you mentioned, yeah, okay, yeah. So wow. there you have it. But uh, it went very well overall. Um, okay, and and, and fun, and just in general, outside of driving, fun road trip to Milwaukee. It was, yeah, yeah. It was a nice day on the 4th, and, and we'd had a little get-together on the 3rd, so we had nothing to do on the 4th. So, yeah, very much a vacation day. All right, cool. All right, well, that sounds, that sounds fun. Well, listen, let's get to, uh, you know, uh, I love to talk to you about Star Spotter. Yeah. Um, explain to everybody what Star Spotter is. Hashtag Star Spotter Tom Appel. <laughs> let's hear about it. Yeah, it all sort of begins with Gunsmoke, one of the finest TV shows ever produced. And, and one of the great things about shows like Gunsmoke is, is the ensemble cast doesn't really do that much on the show, right? They, they, they're the, the architecture of the show, but there's plenty of guests that show up right. on Gunsmoke. And I started watching Gunsmoke and realizing all these great people were showing up there before they were anybody. I also watch a lot of, uh, of uh, Rawhide. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, Wagon Train, which is terrible. But <laughs> when I see someone I recognize, I take a picture and I share it on Facebook. And, uh, right. and I'm very excited about those. But some good stuff this month. Yeah, I'm looking at this. This is amazing. And by the way, I, just, I always, I always uh, like to mention that it's always to the chagrin of your lovely wife. Uh, it is, yeah. She wishes I was doing something else. All right, enough of this. Okay, so anyway, Star Spotter. But I'm telling you, some of these are classic. Let's, let's save the Big Valley one for last. Okay. All right, right. so tell us a little bit about who you spotted, who you took pictures of, because it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, a couple of good ones here. Richard Deacon, Mel Cooley from from the uh, Dick Van Dyke show, showed up on Gunsmoke with a big hat. He was playing some sort of officious lawyer, businessman guy, and Mm -hmm. was kind of a jerk. Good role for him. Did he have glasses? He did. Yeah. Now, now under the hat, you ever take his hat off and have a toupee? Did he have the toupee on? He didn't have the Mel Cooley toupee? No, I don't think he ever did take his hat no, he, off. So, no, and not only so that, his, actually, he's not the one who had the toupee. Alan did. It was uh, it was Carl Reiner who had the toupee. Yeah, yeah, because Mel used to was make, just bald. Yeah, Mel they used to make fun of because he was bald, right? Because, but I'm sorry, I got my I got my bald jokes confused. <laughs> no, well the 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 bald Alan Brady episode is is a oh. is so good. It's, it's, it's one of the best it's, episodes. It's one of the best episodes ever. 
Absolutely. It's Mary Tyler Moore at her absolute best. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So Richard Deacon showing up as like a, a, a lawyer guy in the West. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. and that's on Gunsmoke. Okay. Who, what else? Cloris Leachman on Gunsmoke. Oh, and love her. I, love her. I have to hand it to her because she, you know, we only knew her as Phyllis. And I think a lot of people only knew her as Phyllis on the Mary Tyler Moore show and on her own show. But, but man, she had range and, yeah. and she could dowdy up or become beautiful. She was just an incredibly talented actress. And, yeah. and, and this one, this episode, she played a really beaten down prairie wife and it was mm. sad and she did it so well. She's great, man. She, you know, she won an Oscar uh for uh the last picture show oh i didn't know that supporting actress and and uh you know um she was known for her dramatic stuff as well and then in in, in addition to that the stuff that she did with like uh mel brooks you know uh like Cal ruler in uh in young frankenstein is legendary and the crazy nurse that she played in high anxiety uh she she was she did have a lot of range and i'm not surprised that she did a really great job you know authentic job on gunsmoke she was a terrific actress yeah, yeah, it was it was fun to watch. She she shows up a lot on stuff, but yeah, uh, she was it's she was a, her. she was a regular that pops up on those. Okay, now Big Valley. Now this one is just insane. <laughs> I can't even. When you posted this, when you posted this, I almost fell off my couch, Tom. I'm not kidding. The, uh, the Big it, Valley. It, was, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, explain. I love the Big Valley. Uh, it, it's 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 just such a soap opera uh, and a great cast. But on this particular episode. Robert Goulet appears as a uh, as a shifty as a shifty traveling preacher, uh, and <laughs> I love that. Yeah, named Brother Love. That's his oh, name. Oh come on, really? Brother Love, yeah. <laughs> and his theme song that he plays when he's preaching is Brotherly Love. Pretty predictable. Wow. All right. This <laughs> sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah. And his henchmen were Struther Martin and Captain Steubing. Who uh, who did all his dirty work for him? Oh man, Struther Martin and Robert Goulet and and Captain Steubing in the same frame—that's just insane. Yeah, that that's is... that's that is pure star-spotting gold. Oh, that's the, that is that's gold. the sort of thing I live for. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> man. And Struther Martin—you can't. I mean, Struther Martin's one of my favorite character actors that's ever lived. I just one of my favorites, and he's in eight million westerns. That guy is in everything. Yeah, so that's I, really I know. Cool. You love him from uh, is it Up in Smoke? Up in Smoke, and, yeah. He he plays he plays uh, Chong's father. Yeah, uh, and I uh, love I, him. I love him specifically for uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And and uh, I mean, Cool Hand Luke. We have failure to communicate. Oh yeah, uh, he's amazing. Oh yeah, of course. Brother Martin is he's he's the man. And if you ever see him, he plays a mad scientist in a movie called S. Okay, <laughs> never saw be, that. That would be seven S's. S- <laughs> And it, he plays a mad scientist who turns Dirk Benedict into a snake. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Sven shown it many times. <laughs> How have I not seen this? Oh, it's classic, man. It's from the 70s. Uh, it's classic 70s crap. Sven showed it a bunch of times, and Struther Martin plays the mad scientist. It's outstanding. Outstanding. Okay. Uh, all right. So you also do mystery uh, show where you show the still of like a, of a, of a, of a, of a, like a publicity still from a sitcom that nobody really remembers. Yeah, I do this specifically to delight some coworkers back at, at my old company, uh, and they're insanely good at figuring out what these stills are from. But anyone yeah. can jump in. I post these on Facebook. But and you posted one uh, earlier this week from a show called Joe's World, which lasted one Joe's season. Joe's World. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, describe this wonderful uh, p- uh, picture that you. Uh... Yeah, it's a sitcom, and and one of the things that you notice immediately is that Peter Brady is in it. Was it Peter Brady? 
It's yeah, Peter, Peter Christopher yeah. Knight. Christopher yeah, Knight. Yeah. And, and it's this family ensemble thing, but it, the, the premise for it is kind of sad. The, the, the father, Ramon Berry, whom I don't know, but apparently he was in the Andromeda string, apparently he suffers from, like, depression. I'm like, this is not a really good topic for a sitcom. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, well, that, that actor, by the way, Ramon Berry, the, men, the way that you mentioned, uh, he was the father of C. Thomas Howell in the movie Grandview, USA. Okay. Uh, and the only reason I know that is because I've seen Grandview, USA 17,000 times because Jamie Lee Curtis has never been hotter in a movie than she was <laughs> in Grandview, USA. And that was at the height of my complete obsession. Well, it's never gone away, but the height of my complete obsession with Jamie Lee Curtis was right around that time period. And he played uh, C. Thomas Hall's dad. He's like the, so, the, the main father of that. So off topic, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies. Pretty good? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I just no, wanted to be yeah. sure. Yeah, no, no, not. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's the best thing in the movie, uh, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, cool. So you, you, you watch the TV, you watch the Westerns. Keep an eye out for that. Keep your uh, eyes peeled for uh, hashtag Star Spotter, hashtag Mystery Show. And also check out uh, Consumer Guide Automotive where uh, Tom will help you out with all and any car-related issues. And again, if you have a question for Tom that's car-related or an issue or anything like that, you can leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948 or an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And again, thanks to Joyce for those, por- for those Porsche brewers. Yes, words. thank you. So, Tom, always a pleasure, my friend, and we'll talk to you next month. Nick, take care. All right, buddy, take care. Bye-bye. And uh, that's Tom Appel. All right. Hey, my dad's at the door. It's time for him to tell a joke. Oh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Ah, yes! Here we go! Yeah, my dad does not take Tuesdays off. Even when it's a for the people. So it's time for my dad to tell a joke. Dad, hit it. Bono and the Eds walked into a bar. The marman said, oh, no, not you two again. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, all right, Dad. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. He'll do it again next Tuesday. Wow, my dad getting uh, making making a hipster reference there with a U2 reference. All right, very cool. My dad rules. He'll tell another joke next week. We will be back again on um, on uh, Friday uh, for a brand new episode featuring uh, an interview with the great character actor Leo Rossi, who has been in nine million movies, including The Accused and River's Edge and Maniac Cop and Relentless and Halloween 2 and Heart Like a Wheel uh, and The Accused. He's an incredible actor. He is appearing at the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention this coming weekend. Get your tickets now, and I'm going to be doing his Q&A live, and he is going to be joining us on Friday. Uh, right before we get to the flashback weekend, I'm going to talk to great character actor Leo Rossi, who you've seen his face, you know who he is. Well, I'll be talking to him, and he will be at the flashback weekend. And don't forget, Saturday, August 5th, 12.30, me, Esmeralda on stage, we giving away T-shirts and talking to, to celebrities from Christine. Flashbackweekend.com, get your tickets now and be a part of the live podcast recording on August 5th at 12.30. All right, my thanks to... Um, 
to uh, to uh, to uh, Jason Skaggs for all the music and the sounds. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Be a sponsor. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Let us know you want to be there. Voicemail, 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. <laughs>